I've always believed the foundation of our fulfillment in life doesn't come from our success, but rather the strength of our relationships, not only with others, but also with ourselves. And how we develop a deeper connection is through self-reflection and purposeful conversations with those around us, especially like-minded individuals. And that is exactly why I created the What Fulfills You card game, to cultivate both more meaningful relationships with others, as well as ourselves on the journey of personal growth. I certainly use these questions as a guide for journal prompts and weekly check-ins with myself. And of course, when I am playing this game with friends on a Friday night in, you bet I am enjoying it with a glass of wine or two, who knows. Shop the card game now at whatfulfillsyou.com and enjoy an exclusive 10% off for listeners only with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy! Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I am your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with another guest this week. And this topic is actually, I think, super relevant for the show because for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know I share my own stories of going out by myself, traveling solo, and I encourage a lot of you guys to do the same because of various opportunities from networking to building self-confidence to making new friends, of course. And I guess, you know, to add context to that, if you haven't been listening for a while, you know, I think one of the two top two reasons why I've always wanted to do that was because, number one, I think maybe more so from like my childhood days, I was probably afraid of having FOMO. Like I didn't want to have that fear anymore of not being invited to something or to be missing out on something because I wasn't invited and I felt like I needed to go with a group of people. That was probably one of that. Um, But more so when I got older, especially going into college, I think my fear became more of not having the right people to go with me and a big part of that was because I grew up rather fast in my 20s and I would attribute that to moving from a very small town in Pennsylvania. I lived in rural Pennsylvania, 8,000 people and I went to college in Orange County, Newport Beach area, California and as most know that is a very affluent zip code, area code in Southern California and I really got to see just a different world and different perspective coming from the East Coast to the West Coast and being out there by myself, not having access to my parents, not being able to go home on the weekends, that kind of thing. So I grew up very fast and started to develop my own young adult slash adult life preferences. And a big part of that was like dining out, for example. And that's actually where I started with um, my junior year of college. But I remember I enjoyed going out to eat, having a drink with friends, and and that kind of thing. And again, in college, that was normal, but obviously everyone's on a budget, right? And at the time, too, in college, I had three part-time jobs, including um, running my very first business, my figure skating dress brand. And so I had maybe more of a higher budget to kind of play with for myself in college. And that was the thing. I remember junior year where I was like, darn it, I want to go to True Food, but I don't know who to ask because I just always feel like someone's kind of like, I don't want to spend that much money to go to dinner, even though it's it's not like terribly that much. But still, when you're in college, it's a different, it's just a different game. And so I remember when I was actually, I was only 20 years old because I remember uh, FaceTiming a friend and telling her, hey, should I joke with the waiter? Like, I forgot my fake ID if I order wine. Um, But I went and I sat down, ate by myself. This was at True Food Kitchen in Newport Beach, still one of my favorite, um, like, you know, casual type restaurants to eat. It's very healthy food. But I remember going 
and I ordered a glass of wine. And funny enough, too, you know, when you're there by yourself, like I, she and she asked for my ID, but I remember just being like, I don't have it with me. And she's like, okay, that's fine. And whether she knew or not, I think she didn't really care because clearly I wasn't socially drinking. I was like just enjoying a glass of wine by myself and having a dinner. And that was a very transformative moment for me because it made me realize that I did not have to wait for anyone to do anything with me. Now, obviously, I do a lot of things with friends today and I totally enjoy it. But I think when you recognize you have the capability of doing something like that by yourself, you realize you have all the power and all the leverage and ability and and options to choose what you want to do, right? So that really translates over into many other things I do today. Like I've talked about before, I sometimes go out in Manhattan by myself. Like I'll go to just super upscale cocktail lounges or bars or restaurants and just sit and have dinner or enjoy a glass of wine or just have a drink out there by myself. And it's day and night so different in New York City. It's so easy to meet people. And it's actually really common to see people, especially business people traveling Um, out by themselves and just having you know a drink after work and and all that so for me it's always been really fun making conversations with people and of course networking for just business connections and opportunities and making friends in the city who are also like-minded and so today I sit down and chat with Jen Tenzer who is the founder of The Soloist a solo travel planning company After spending over 10 years in her career in investment banking in Manhattan, Jen was burnt out and ready for a career reset. She started The Soloist to feel her passion for inspiring others to travel beyond their comfort zone and live with fulfillment. Jen is a travel advisor who caters to solo female travelers and is committed to ensuring her clients feel safe and comfortable exploring the world alone. So as you can tell, this is a very aligned conversation with me. I have also traveled alone as well. My first time traveling solo was to Portland, Oregon, my senior year of college. And I was actually, I remember, I was kind of nervous at the time, but um, you'll learn a lot of tips on this episode and a little bit about investment banking too and her background in that. Um, But I think this is really great for those of you who DM me, especially I get a lot of DMs about advice on solo traveling and what to do and how to prepare for it and just really how to feel confident about it. And we definitely touch on all of that in this conversation. So with that being said, we will dive into it. Lately, I've been drinking Magic Mind almost every day before I start working for the day to help with getting into the flow state. Whether you are still in college or you work full-time like me, I know we all have those days where it feels extremely difficult to stay focused and on task. While I don't judge myself for lack of productivity, I do care about how effective I am with my time because time is precious, so why would I want to waste it? Something I've been genuinely really shocked about with Magic Mind is not only how good it tastes because I'm super picky, but also actually how well I stay focused. I mean, I don't know what it is, but if I'm being really honest, I get distracted kind of easily and it's been working wonders. So let's break down what Magic Mind really does. It is known to increase and improve productivity. It has very little caffeine and it only comes from matcha tea. It's a great alternative for coffee if you drink coffee for energy and focus. Or if you are like me, you can drink it alongside because I personally cannot give up my coffee. I love making it in the morning. It also helps fight off fatigue and brain fog as well as some ADD symptoms. And the best part, it is all natural ingredients including adaptogens, matcha, and nootropics. I highly recommend you give this a try if you are already considering it. It comes in a box of 15 and I like it so much. Sometimes I drink it twice a day. And even better, you can enjoy 20% off your purchase with the code FULFILL at magicmind.co slash fulfill during checkout. That's fulfill at magicmind.co slash fulfill. Enjoy. All right. Well, Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so glad that we have been able to connect and I'm really excited to chat about your background. I did do some classic LinkedIn stalking and looked into your background and, you know, where you went to school, of course, your investment banking background, um, but also as a fellow solo travel advocate, I love what you do. I love your company and what you're doing for especially women out there. So I'll just, you know, hand it over to you for you to share your story. Start wherever you'd like. 
Fantastic. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. This is such a thrill. I love your podcast. I'm an avid listener and I'm just so happy to be here. Um, so my name is Jen. I am now the founder of a solo travel company called The Soloist. And basically I plan trips for solo female travelers. I've solo traveled throughout my life. It's something that I've you know, it's, it's incredibly important to me. I've had life-changing experiences through those trips, and I'm just hoping to share that with other women. Um, a little bit of background on me, though. Definitely don't have a career history in the travel space, although I've always loved travel. Um, I started in finance out of college, you know, did the t traditional investment banking track, um, tons of hours, you know, crazy late nights at the office and my entire world kind of revolved around work at that time in Manhattan. Um, but I really enjoyed it, you know, like it challenged me and I was surrounded by a lot of really bright, motivated people. Um, and I, I saw that as my future and I kept working my way up and for a while everything was good. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think like most things, eventually you come to some sort of turning point where you just start to kind of real, like reevaluate your life choices and determine if you're still on the right track that you want to be, you know, like I was doing that for 10 years and I think it's easy to kind of be caught up in that bubble, that finance bubble, and not really be able to see a future outside of it. And I just got to a point where I started feeling like that trajectory was no longer aligned with how I wanted to live the rest of my life and had a little bit of a third life crisis <laughs> and took some time off, traveled, <laughs> did some soul searching, and ultimately decided to start this company. Wow. And you know, what I think a lot of people will resonate with that too, is I think, as you said, a lot of us do go through those times, you know, for those who are listening and they're younger, they're, it's going to be like during college or before college, that transition period. And then also as you are in your twenties and everyone's adapting into their post-grad life and dating and some are getting married, some are getting engaged. So I really feel like a lot of people struggle with figuring out uh, how to, what to evaluate during that pivoting point, you know, but I always like to backtrack it a little bit. I did see that you went to Indiana. Um, looks like you studied, you know, business and whatnot. Can you share like at the time, what was your thought process in your career? I know you said you kind of went that, um, you know, traditional finance track, but kind of bring it into like your early twenties. What were you thinking? And I guess like now compared to where you're at now, um, do you see anything that you've learned back then? Like lessons wise, is it still applicable? It, like, what would you tell your younger self just kind of looking back now? Yeah. It's funny to think back to that time because I think you're, what you just said is entirely right. There's pivots and points like that throughout your life where you're going to have to kind of reevaluate your decisions and your path. And what I was just talking about that sort of like big life change that I went through right around the time I turned 30, there were a lot of parallels to that with, you know, my early twenties and in college. So a little bit of background on me and my family, um, career oriented family, lots of business. <laughs> um, and so I kind of grew up knowing I wanted to go into business, into finance, maybe marketing, things on that track. But I think it was like a lot of programming, right? Like familial programming, societal programming. Um, I was lucky enough to grow in, grow up in like an affluent suburb where people were very driven to get high paying jobs. And so I just felt like, okay, this is what I have to do. <laughs> and, um, and so that's what I did. You know, I went to business school and I was challenged there. I learned a lot. There were things about it that I was interested in. Um, but I felt like ultimately I chose finance as my major and went into investment banking because like, that's what I was supposed to do. That's what I felt pressured to do. Maybe not like explicitly, right? My parents were very supportive and all of that, but there was like this subliminal kind of messaging, you know, you need to like have a good job, be able to support yourself um, and all of those things. And so I think when I went into investment banking, 
in the back of my head, there was this little seed, like, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this right for me? And I kind of just like shoved it aside. (laughs) And, and so I think there's a lot of parallels because then it took, you know, I was in that career for 10 years and it took until I was like 30 for that little seed in the back of my mind to finally blossom and have me get to a point and a, and a level of confidence where I could say, okay, there's no, like, I can't ignore this anymore. Do I really still want to be doing this? And if not, like, what do I want to be doing? I want to dive into investment banking a bit, especially because I feel like for women, and it's funny too, because I live in financial district here in New York City. So I feel like I'm surrounded by finance and banking energy all the time. And mind you, I am actually extremely curious myself because I think in a if I had multiple lives, I would be an investment banker in one and a lawyer in another outside of this, but I only have one. So, you know, I chose something a little bit more fulfilling and flexible, but Um, What are some things that especially women don't know, and especially for you two being a bit older and more so in the millennial generation, what is it like for a woman to be in investment banking, especially at that time, but also just in general, like, how can women better prepare themselves for a career within finance? Because I do think that's something not talked about a lot. And even amongst my own group of girlfriends, you know, we're in about early mid 20s right now. And a lot of them just don't even know basics. Um, and, and I think that's something that I encourage women to kind of be more holistically well-rounded and not be as scared to, to talk about it. And I think people like you who have work experience in that, um, you know, are usually the greatest people to, to talk about it for women. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm happy to. I think, you know, it'll be kind of no surprise that there aren't a ton of women in investment banking. Um, It's definitely a male dominated field and more so it's, there's a very distinct kind of bro culture in finance. (laughs) And so look, part of me was already a little bit accustomed to that because I was in a sorority and I knew frat guys and I can't say the culture was wildly different. Um, (laughs) And so, and so on one hand, like, I don't know, I think, um, there are benefits to being the only woman, you know, or being one of few. Mm -hmm. And you can stand out in that way and you can share really unique perspectives and ways of thinking of um, solutions to problems that a lot of the men in the room might not be able to think of. And I think women who are successful in investment banking are the ones who are not afraid to speak up and tap Mm -hmm. into a little bit of that masculine sort of energy, you know, in terms of like taking charge and not shrinking, um, into conversations and things like that. That being said, it's very challenging, (laughs) you know, I mean, it can be incredibly intimidating to be the only woman sitting at a table, uh, surrounded by men. And I think also the other women who are at the table, there's kind of like an interesting dynamic that I found, which is pretty unfortunate, which is, there are certain women, right. Who are incredibly supportive of other women and want to bring you up along with them. But there are also a lot of like women who have this sort of old school mentality where they had to really fight to make their place in the workplace. And now you coming up represent a little bit of a threat, right? Because there can only be one woman in the room and it needs to be them. Yeah. So that's, and that's not like a new narrative. I think we've all heard that, but like, that was very much true for me. Um, and, and that was definitely a challenge. I also think like trying to forge your own path and still have some of that femininity in that space was also a little bit challenging for me. Like, you know, do I have even things as simple as like, do I have to wear a pantsuit? You know, do I have to be incredibly like buttoned up and formal and basically wear the like woman version of a male suit? Um, how can Mm -hmm. I play around with like what I actually want to wear and still be professional? How can I play around with the way that I speak and still be very much authentic to myself? Things like that, Mm -hmm. um, were definitely challenges that I faced. And then also just dating and like trying to live life outside the office. You know, Mm -hmm. there were so many times that I would go on dates and like awkwardly have to like leave early. Like, I'm so sorry. I have to run back to the office. And the guy's just looking at me like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, what? Like, who are (laughs) you? Like, and, and that's not a great way to start any relationship, right? Romantic or otherwise. So, um, 
it definitely made it hard. Like I was pretty much always single. And I think a lot of it had to do with that lifestyle. And obviously like it's up to you to create a balance in your life. Not everyone who's in that field is single, but, um, but, but your life really does kind of revolve around work. And so it's just something to keep in mind, especially as a woman, if things like getting married and having a family and having kids and things like that are important to you down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny. Well, first, of all, I have a few questions off of your answer there. But it was when you said how um, you even during dates where you had to kind of run back to the office or maybe, you know, answer an email or a call. It was so last week I had gone out with an investment banker and he had to he had his work phone with him and he apologized so many times. It's so funny because I have a lot of friends in investment banking. And, you know, I mean, I, I run a business myself and so I get it. And so I'm very, you know, empathetic to that. I'm like, look, I, I do the whole thing, too. I work on Sunday sometimes like I'm on all the time so like don't be sorry but I just found that funny how you said that I'm like I just dealt that with on the other end I just dealt with that myself um last weekend yeah well (laughs) I think also in New York like there's just so many workaholics in every field so I think people exactly (laughs) people tend to understand a little bit more but um but like anything there's kind of a breaking point right like I think there's a reason that most people go into investment banking and similar fields for two to three years and then they kind of move on. It's just not always a sustainable lifestyle, you know? So, um, Mm. for me though, I really, I really did enjoy it for a long time. It took me a while (laughs) before I hit my threshold. I, okay. So someone else had recently asked me, and I think this is very applicable to something you would know too, but I think a lot of women have trouble, um, figuring out how to balance maybe that alpha, ENTJ type personality, especially again, I would consider women who are bold enough to be in investment banking to be part of that table, typically have that maybe shark mentality in a good way. Um, But I think many, especially with like traditional moms, like even my own, are kind of intimidated by showing that side because maybe moms and older generations are like, you should be more soft and feminine. And and I think, again, I think everything is a good balance, right? It's like maintaining that true part of yourself, but yes, being bold enough to stand up, speak up for yourself or share an idea and not be, you know, intimidated by the men or whoever it is. Um, So do you have advice on that end in terms of balancing the boldness, but then still staying, you know, within your own feminine grounds? Sure. I think like anything else, a little of it just takes practice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it may not be super comfortable to be really outspoken at the office when you're just out of college. Right. But it's, but that's okay. Like it's probably not appropriate for you to be incredibly (laughs) outspoken in a meeting when you're a first year analyst. Right. Right. So I think part of it is just practice. And as you come up and you get more confident in your skills in that field, you'll feel more comfortable speaking up naturally. And I think it's just kind of knowing the moments to put yourself out there Mm -hmm. a little bit. And I think it's also kind of your point, a nice balance to be able to go to the office and, you know, live that alpha self Mm -hmm. and then kind of escape the office and retreat back into maybe other sides of yourself. Right. Like I think we all have different facets and sometimes it can be kind of fun to like play into certain roles in Mm -hmm. certain situations and then, and then the opposite. So, um, but I think practice really, I wouldn't, I think if it feels unnatural, it probably is perceived as unnatural as well. Right. Like if, if it feels forced, it, it probably appears forced. And that's, that's not what anybody wants either. Right. And it's funny that you say too, with, you know, when you go home, maybe jump into the different side of you, because even that, that's something I had recently come out with an episode on balancing that alpha, you know, so-called masculine traits, but then still having the feminine side, because even for me, despite, having that leadership type of personality alpha, so to speak, I even prefer like on a different, like on a personal level, I still like to not always have to be in charge and not always have to keep up that energy because I think that gets tiring over time. So I think that's something, um, especially women nowadays too, that they're seeing more female leaders come out and more women being in charge. I think they're encouraged to do that, but then are still uncertain. How do I approach that? Well, you know, staying true to myself, but then also being able to, you know, take the lead when I want 
on to. So yeah, I think, I think that's great advice. I guess um, anything else before we move on to the soloist, any advice you have for women interested in finance or investment banking, if they're currently in school right now, or maybe graduating soon and really thinking about jumping into kind of like that first year analyst position? Ooh, yes. Well, <laughs> I would say, look, like despite some of like the the comments that I've made so far and the fact that I ultimately transitioned out of it, I do not whatsoever regret going into that field. Um, I definitely think it provided me like an incredibly solid foundation for any career that I want to go into at all. And taught me a lot of life lessons about hard work, about be, being detail oriented. Um, it was a fantastic career. I like employ any women who are interested in it to chase it. Um, and I would just say, you know, like, don't be afraid to kick some ass and speak up. Like, I think that a lot of banks and different financial employers are more and more open to hiring women and, um, people that don't look like the people who are already at the top right now and just ride Mm -hmm. that wave, you know? And I think that that trend's just going to continue. So more power to (laughs) you. I love that. Well, I I would definitely want to dive into, you know, leading up to the soloist. I know we talked about it a little bit before, but I'm sure you had your own travel experience and maybe just your own time of reflection during a period of pivot pivoting and transitioning. Can you dive into that? Um, you know, kind of what was going through your life at that time? Was it maybe having lack of travel partners, like girlfriends? I know we touched on, you know, my own experience with that too, but I would love to kind of hear your story with that. Absolutely. So in that last year or so, when I was in investment banking, it's hard to explain. I just felt like I just started getting these sort of like intuitive feelings that this was no longer the right place for me. And, and I started getting really stressed out in ways that I, you know, hadn't been recently. And a lot of my internal struggle was manifesting physically. I was getting very sick, like weirdly sick. Like I managed to get the flu and strep and an ear infection all at the same time and was like bedridden for two weeks. (laughs) And I was like, this is not normal. Like what's going on? Um, So yeah, so I just started to feel like no longer energized by the same sort of work that I was doing, no longer really respecting a lot of the people around me. And I knew that I needed a change. The problem was I really had no idea what I wanted to do. And so it, it was like just the thought of interviewing for a different position, like made me sick to my stomach because I really just had, I was so burnt out. Like interviewing is a second job in and of itself, right? Like I had no energy for that. Um, and I was fortunate enough from this career to have some savings. So I decided to just travel. It's something that had always been in the back of my mind that I always wished I had done, you know, um, like backpacked around Europe. And so I just quit. And that was like the scariest thing I've ever done was mustering up the courage to do so. Um, Quit my apartment lease and decided to travel. Um, I didn't know that COVID would hit like two months later, right? (laughs) But but that was the plan. And and then during COVID, I kind of just like traveled around the States and made the most of it. And what was going through my mind at that time was just trying to think about like what lights me up? What fulfills me? Why did I used to be so fulfilled by this career? And, and what changed, you know, why am I no longer feeling that way? So really just like diving deep into like my own psyche and trying to figure out what things I enjoyed most in my life, what sort of conversations with people made me really excited, how I wanted to be spending my time, things like that. So what was it like then in the beginning when obviously I'm sure, especially because COVID was at that time, was that even a, I don't know. I think I would just be mentally screwed at that point because I'd be so you know taken aback. I'd be like, okay, this was a complete plot twist. How did you handle that side of it too? You know, because I feel like at that time, everyone would was super scared to not be employed, you know? And then at that time, it's like, you just literally left your job two months prior. It was terrible. I mean, I felt like (laughs) the rug was just pulled out from under me. I was like, are you kidding me? Like I finally got the courage to like do this after nine months of like thinking and planning about it. 
And now mm-hmm. I'm going to travel the world. And now you're just like closing every door. It was terrible. Honestly, it was like pretty depressing. Um, but I, I knew that like, I still didn't regret my decision. Like no part of me wanted to go back into that lifestyle. I didn't have the energy for, for it. I felt like totally depleted. And so I just decided to like get into my car and road trip around the country. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of like a blessing in disguise. Like I got to see all of these amazing things within our own country in the U S that I don't think I would have prioritized. Right. Because I wanted to go to, you know, Indonesia and Bali and New Zealand and all of these places. And like the U S national parks weren't as high on my list. And it was, it was a pretty amazing experience, even though it was like you said, pretty depressing at the same time. <laughs> um, so I guess regarding travel, like, did you happen to, cause I think this is kind of what I see for most women is like a lot of people have this desire to travel as well. And however, most of them get stumped because they're like, oh, I don't have anyone to travel to Paris with me or to London, right? So did you ever at point at, at some point have that same kind of fear? And if so, what, what did you start telling yourself then? Like, what were some of the, 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 like, what, how did your mindset shift about that? Realizing like, you know what, Jen, like you just need to go travel for yourself, you know, and stop waiting around. Was that some a conversation you had with yourself? Definitely. That was a conversation that I had with myself much earlier though, actually. So when oh, okay. I was still in that investment banking career, grinding away, You know, I was like desperate for vacations whenever I could take time off. And at that time I was single and I found it challenging to find people to travel with. Like, you know, do they have the exact same budget as me? Do they want to travel the exact same like 10 days that maybe I can get off in a random time in April, right? Do they want to go the same place as me? Do the same things Mm -hmm. as me? Um, it was like a pretty restrictive list that I had for myself. And a lot of my friends had their own plans, right? So I found it challenging back then. And that's when I started solo traveling because I, you know, was working a ton. I remember I had just gotten off a couple of huge deals. I was like, I need to get away. I want to get far away from New York city and Mm -hmm. I have no one to go with. And like, there is no way I am waiting another six months for my friend to be free. You know, I need to do this for me. I, I know that I need this for my sanity right now. And mm-hmm. that is kind of when the mindset shifted. And so I took my first solo trip while I was still in that career um, in my like mid twenties. And I actually bit off a lot and went to Patagonia, which is like a pretty remote adventurous area. It's at the tip of South America. Um, <laughs> I would not recommend that for your first solo trip, but right. <laughs> It was a fan, it was just like the most fantastic life-changing experience that I had ever had. And I met all of these people. I felt safe. I came back with incredible stories. And from then on, I just kind of thought, okay, obviously I still want to travel with my family and friends sometimes, but like mm-hmm. solo travel is going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life because I just want to continue to have these sort of monumental experiences. Mm-hmm. How did you get over the fear of, let's say, safety? I think for women, that's usually probably the number one. What would I obviously have my own thoughts on that? Because again, I solo travel, I go out in Manhattan by myself, you know, whenever I feel like it as well. But I think that's always something people go first, the top two. Number one, how do you do it like while still feeling safe and secure within yourself? Number two, how do you talk to people because you're showing up to whatever it is with a restaurant, a bar, or just at a hotel, whatever, you have no friends, you don't know anyone there. How do you make conversation with strangers? What was your approach for those? So I think you're exactly right. One of the things that I tell myself is, you know, you live in New York City, you go out alone all the time. I had my own apartment in New York City. And so I would tell myself, okay, if someone came to New York City, they might think it was so scary to solo travel to New York City. Yet here I am as a woman, living my single life every day. Right. So I try and tell myself wherever I'm going, there are probably single women there living their life every day. Right. And it's not so dissimilar. Um, in terms of like tips that I have for safety, it is definitely important. And I do think as a woman, like 
you are potentially a little bit more at risk, especially someone like me who is like physically tiny, you know, um, I want to make sure that I'm prepared and I'm cautious and all of those things. So some of the things that I do are maintaining frequent contact with people back home. So before I go, I send a family member or a friend, a copy of my itinerary. It has my hotels, my flights, like phone numbers at the hotel of who to contact in an emergency. Um, I'll also turn on the app that's like find my friends so that like my mom can track me (laughs) and look, that's not something that I do like day to day, but for a solo trip, it's, it's just a little extra peace of mind. Um, and then, and then while I'm traveling, you know, I just like to say your intuition is your best friend. Like if you're in a situation where you're in an alley and it feels sketchy and there's some strange man who's giving you some weird look or approaching you and you just feel off, right? You know that feeling when you just feel like I have to get myself out of that situation. I do. Like that is my best friend, my intuition. And so I would just encourage anyone who's solo traveling to always just be aware of their surroundings, alert. That will get you pretty far, to be honest. Um, And then in terms of striking up conversations and things like that, you know, again, like practice helps. So I think the first solo trip that I took, I didn't really approach many people. What really surprised me was how willing other people were to approach me. I think as a solo female traveler, you just kind of come across as in a good way sometimes too, as unguarded and open to talking to anyone because you are, you've probably not talked to anyone in the last couple hours. You are open to talking to anyone. And so people kind of would just start approaching me, you know, so maybe I'm waiting in line for some sort of tourist attraction and someone's behind me and they just start talking to me. Oh, how long have you been waiting in line? Yada, yada. Um, and I think I just made sure that I remained open to the possibility of sparking up a conversation with somebody, sparking up a new friendship, sparking up a romantic relationship, whatever. And again, like just keeping that intuition piece in mind where, you know, as long as something doesn't feel off, don't assume that everybody out there is like some sort of ax murderer, you know, like there are plenty of wonderful people and like-minded travelers out there for you to meet. And part of the magic of solo travel is connecting with people from all over the world. So that's what I would have to say. I could not agree more with what you just said there too, is like, you know, of course, be guarded and use your intuition, but also don't assume that everyone's out to get you. Cause I feel like I definitely have friends that, you know, hold that fear a lot. And I think it's of course something that people just work through to get over, but it's something that I always, you know, reemphasize like, Hey, totally get that fear. Trust me. I, I, I feel like we've all kind of been that way at some point in our lives, but at some point you have to, you know, practice and learn and to learn to understand like read the person read the room and kind of look at your surroundings and kind of being aware and so I think honestly too I don't know if you ever did this while you were in Manhattan but I think like if especially if you live in a big city that's also just like a great place to start like going out to a restaurant by yourself going to a bar by yourself something of that nature because those are baby steps to doing the same thing you know in another country especially if it's a you know different speaking language 100%. That's like the best advice. Yes. Great advice. (laughs) Um, yeah, take your, honestly, and it's kind of like amazing to take yourself out on a solo date, like dress up for yourself, take yourself out to a nice dinner. Um, if you feel a little uncomfortable, which is so normal, especially the first time you dine by yourself, go to a place that has a bar, sit at the bar, you know, that's very normal. (laughs) Maybe chat up with, chat it up with a bartender. Um, And just to your point, like get yourself a little bit more comfortable being alone out in your own skin. Um, Also taking solo trips to like nearby cities. Maybe you live in New York and you've always wanted to go visit Vermont, you know, maybe you make a weekend weekend of it and it's a solo trip, but it still feels relatively safe. Obviously it's still like the U S culture. Everybody speaks English. So that's a nice way to kind of like tiptoe into bigger solo trips. If that's something you're interested in down the line. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, I really want to dive into the soloist now. Can you share really like at what point you started to realize like, Ooh, I could turn something like this 
into a business and this is just what I'm going to do as like kind of the next career stepping, um, you know, stepping stone. Could you really dive into how it started and the whole concept behind it? Absolutely. So I would say the first idea was rooted back in that first solo trip that I took because I felt like I would have loved somebody else to walk me through my first solo trip, like hold my hand, tell me everything was going to be okay, help me plan it, um, and avoid some like common pitfalls for first time solo travelers. And I just couldn't find anything. Like I was scouring the internet. I didn't see it. And I, you know, figured it out on my own as anybody can, Mm -hmm. But that was the first time I thought, okay, like, why doesn't this exist? Like, why are solo travelers, why is that not part of like the larger travel industry? And, Mm. you know, I continued solo traveling. I ended up quitting my job. I was traveling solo around the U.S. And I just kept coming back to this idea when I was thinking about like, what truly lights me up? You know, what do I really enjoy? What truly lights me up is 100% solo travel. Like, I feel like I... I'm superwoman when I'm out on my own, like on the other side of the world, you know, like I can do anything. Um, And then I also though, like one thing that always gave me a lot of fulfillment was teaching junior analysts when I was in investment banking, educating other people, having that like personal one-on-one connection where I felt like I could maybe have a small impact on someone else's life. And so Mm -hmm. I kept coming back to this idea, like, wow, I would just love to inspire and support other women as they try solo travel for the first time. Like I would love to have that one-on-one connection with them, go through it with them. Um, And so during that COVID period, when I was road tripping around the U S that's when I started to kind of solidify that and start thinking about how I could actually ever monetize it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the banking side of me couldn't couldn't let go. I was still thinking about, okay, but like, could this be a real business? How would this work? And so that's kind of how it got started. Yeah. So in terms of like turning it into an actual business, how did that, you know, really come about for you? Cause I think even for those out there who are freelancers right now, or who have an idea that is also similar where it's like, Ooh, this is kind of hard to figure out how to monetize, right? Like what were the steps for you in really thinking it through and making it, you know, I guess logically makes sense. I would say I didn't do what everybody says you're supposed to do, which is to like sit down and spend a week just writing a business plan. Um, (laughs) Like that's not how it happened for me. I kind of started having these ideas like I was saying, but I couldn't, I still couldn't make that leap. I couldn't just like start, decide I was going to start a business, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. on a Monday, I kind of tiptoed into it. So I remember I followed this travel blogger on Instagram and she put something out in her story just saying like, Hey, I'm looking for people to write blog posts, um, with road trip itineraries. If you have any, let me know. And I thought, well, this is weird. I'm literally road tripping around the country right now. I love travel. She's a big solo female traveler. I don't know. Maybe I'll just put my, you know, put myself out there and say, sure, I'll write a blog post. I had never written a blog post. So I put myself out there for that. She picked me. I wrote this post. And through that experience, I started like getting more into just researching about blogging and monetizing blogs and um, how blogs help with things like SEO for websites and things like that. And I still had this idea of travel planning in the back of my head, but that was like a little baby step. Then I decided, Mm -hmm. okay, well, I know that like, if I'm going to have some sort of company, I need to create an LLC. Like, I just know that that is a very first step in any company's um, story. So I did that. Well, I guess I need to also start an Instagram. Like, how are people going to even know I exist? So then I started an Instagram. Um, So I just kind of like took these little baby steps as these ideas came to me. And look, like I did those things over the course of six months maybe. And now I had this Instagram where I was like, I'm a business, but I had no clients, you know? So like, then I spent the next six months learning about, okay, well, like, how do I actually get clients? How do I prove that I'm credible to book their trips? Okay. Well, maybe Mm -hmm. I need to actually become an accredited travel agent and learn how to professionally book travel for people. 
show that I can do that, you know? And so I did Mm -hmm. that. So I feel like it was just like little steps one in after the other. And I still don't know everything, but I just, Mm -hmm. I think it's all about like always taking steps and moving forward wherever you're at. And I love what your example shows too, is that everything is about trial and error and that you really like, even though people like us or people who are, you know, beyond with their experience, a lot of people start like this, where they, they try it out, hope for the best and kind of learn as they go. And I think so many people are always asking the questions of, you know, how do I do it? Where do I begin? But oftentimes it's like, we just started just by trying and, you know, we learn and we adapt as we go. So I like that you know, what you said right there is that you you evaluated, okay, you had the question of how do I monetize or how do people trust me, right? And then you kind of solve a problem for that or like, you know, provide a solution. But I would love if you could take us through what it's like to work with you. If someone was like, hey, Jen, I want to go to London, for example, right? Like how can you take us through what it's like to work with you and help them plan a solo trip and, you know, for them to gain the confidence of, okay, I feel like I can really do this international trip for the first time. So typically the first step is I have a questionnaire that I have people fill out on my website. And it basically is all of these questions about where you want to go, what you want to do, you know, what was your best trip in the past? Why do you want to try solo travel? And it just helps me kind of like dig into their psyche a little bit so that I can help curate like the best trip possible for them that meets all of their needs. Then we, I look over that, we hop on the phone, we meet each other. And if they do already know where they're going, London, great. I can start prepping an itinerary, giving them different options of hotels, depending on their budget, giving them different activity ideas, or maybe they have no idea where they want to go. Maybe they just say, I know that I want to take a week off in March. I want to go somewhere warm where should I go? And then it's my job to kind of like brainstorm all of these ideas for them, which can be super fun because maybe I've thought of something that they had never thought of. And we kind of start the planning process from there. It's, it's definitely a two-way process. So I want to make sure that they love every aspect of it. You know, they're helping me pick things. I'm giving them options, but they're helping me curate their own trip. And then closer to the departure date, that's when I really start nailing down, making sure that everything on the emotional side is where it needs to be in terms of their confidence level. I prepare like a safety travel checklist for them. Um, I will give them like a little quick briefer on the destination that they're going to in terms of like what currency is there, what outlets, like what they can expect. And I just hop on the phone with them again and just kind of like let them spitfire any questions they have for me, you know? How do I dine out alone? How I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And I think just through the process of that sort of Q&A and me giving some personal examples from my own solo travels, it typically gets people a little bit more comfortable and then and then they're off. But then even when they're on their trip, I'm like always there for them 24/7. They can text me anytime, you know, my flight got delayed. My, my car isn't here. I'm feeling uncomfortable in this moment. And, and I think just having someone always looking out for them like that provides a lot of comfort as well. What about for those who are, you know, super, super beginner and they're hearing this podcast and they're like, okay, damn, I want to try a quick domestic trip on my own. Let's do a quick weekend trip. Um, but they still don't know where to start, what to do. What are your top three tips for anyone trying it out on a mini scale um, in terms of like prepping, uh, packing and, and then all that, all those kinds of things? Definitely do your research. Um, and that starts with the destination. So I would say like, make sure that you're, that you're picking a place with tons of activities to do. You don't want to be in a situation where you feel like there's nothing to do. You're just sitting at home alone in your hotel room, stewing in your own loneliness, <laughs> you know, like you want to break away from that. So I think actually making sure that you have some planned activities while you're going to, while you're in the destination is really important. Even if you are kind of more of a spontaneous person, make sure you have some things booked. Mm-hmm. And that starts with picking a destination that has a lot of activities and options. Um, while you're there, I would also try and make sure that some of those activities are group focused activities. So again, it like kind of forces you to socialize. You don't feel the pressure of having to like 
walk up to someone and say hello, things like, um, I don't know if you've ever done an Airbnb experience, but those are group tours that are run by locals. They're small. There's tons of solo travelers who join those. And so like, that's a great way, um, to keep yourself busy as well. And then in terms of safety, you know, again, with the destination, just researching places that have low crime rates, you know, respect women. And Mm -hmm. I'll just Google search things like solo female travel, New York city, like fill in the name of Mm -hmm. the city and, you know, read some blogs, read some articles, read other people's experiences, things like that. Amazing. I think that's really good tips too. Cause again, I think, um, for obvious reasons, I think it's, you know, most people want to do something and this is a very out of comfort zone thing, but I think just hearing us, for example, talk about it and share these kinds of tips, I think, um, it gives people confidence more than we know. So I'm really glad that we can have this conversation. Um, but a couple more questions, maybe more on kind of like life philosophy side. Um, what's a piece of advice that you got maybe during your early mid twenties that you really emphasize on for women right now going through it in their twenties, whether it's career or in a romantic relationship or friendships, what's something that really sticks out to you? Okay. Well, you'll be able to tell that I'm kind of like an idealistic person by this, but a quote that I always (laughs) think about, um, and that really resonated me with me in my twenties when I was like going through some harder times, is, you know, everything will work out in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Um, And that's something that like, I just take in with me, because even in starting my own business, there's been a ton of challenges with that. There's a lot of times when I stop and wonder, like, should I be doing this? Like, am I being successful? Should Mm -hmm. I continue chasing this? What is it all for? Right? Those Mm -hmm. existential questions don't stop in your 20s. I think they just kind of change throughout your life. Um, But reminding myself, like, it will be okay in the end. We're still in the middle. We just Mm -hmm. don't see the light at the end of the tunnel quite yet. Um, That's just been something that's given me like a little bit of peace and calm in those turbulent times. Okay. So three questions from the card game. It's the what fulfills you card game. Um, And they might be on the deeper side, but I think these three are good for you. Uh, So the first one is... Um, is life what happens to you or is it simply how you perceive it and react to it? Ooh, this is a good one. (laughs) I think it's how you perceive it. I think things happen to everyone and, and sort of like life doesn't happen to you, right? Like we are creating our own lives with the decisions that we make every day. And there's going to be great times. There's going to be shitty times. Um, but again, it's like about maintaining that big picture perspective and that long-term view, um, that I think gets us Mm -hmm. through it. So I don't, I think it's about the perception. I agree with that one. Definitely. This one's a good one, especially since you came from investment banking, would you rather make more money doing a job you hate or less doing one you love (laughs) and maybe elaborate a little bit? (laughs) I mean, very topical. I, So look, I like, this is, I went through this in real time. I definitely would rather be doing something that I love. I think, look, even when I was in investment banking, I really did like it. I wasn't, I didn't hate it. And I wasn't just Mm -hmm. making a lot of money and hating my job for 10 years. Right. Or else I don't think any sane person would continue doing it. Um, But it did through this shift, help me see how important it is to truly do something that lights you up. And, and I can't imagine going back to a career like that just for the money, even though right now it definitely is challenging trying to create my own income. Um, no regrets. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing too, is like everyone thinks being an entrepreneur or doing your own thing and having your own schedule is glamorous, which it it is to an extent, but the trade-off as you know, is like, you are still always under pressure because you have to produce that income for yourself now. And you always have to be on. And, and I mean, again, I think for coming from investment banking, I'm sure like that translates over in terms of the work ethic and really forcing yourself to do it. But I think that's just something so many people don't know is like, it's not just, you know, upwards and easy coasting from there, you know, it, there's a lot of uh, ups and downs in that startup phase. And so I, I wish people understood that more. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so challenging. And I feel like <laughs> part of why it's so challenging is 
not just like the hard work and all of that, but like just not knowing what to do next. I think if you're at like an early stage, like me again, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. I just have to like try and create a plan that I think will help my business and chase Mm -hmm. it, but I could be wrong, you know? So like, at least if if you're at a corporate role, someone is telling you the tasks that you are supposed to do that day, you know, (laughs) that they will be valued by that person, by the company. Um, I I don't have that anymore. So it's definitely a challenge. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, second to last question, the last one from the card game. If someone asked you when you were 10 years old, what you wanted to be when you grew up, what did you say? And do you think that answer still relatively applies to what you actually want to be or what you are doing? Ooh, I think when I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a fashion designer in Manhattan. So no, it is not remotely (laughs) (laughs) related to what I'm doing. Um, But part of that dream was, was alive in terms of like, I knew that I really loved New York actually at a very young age. I knew Mm -hmm. that I loved the energy of the city that I wanted to live there. Um, And I think I ended up going into a field in finance that's similar to fashion is very like demanding, high energy, cutthroat, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I'm not doing what I, what I dreamed to do when I was 10 and that's okay. (laughs) Are you surprised or I guess, yeah, I guess, are you surprised that you already had that inkling about New York at such a young age? I always love to pick people's brains about what their thoughts are. You know, as we get older, it's like, wow, you know, there's some correlation. There's, there's also some that are not correlated, but it's actually surprising. Like, how do we know these, um, I don't know, intrinsic interests, so to speak, at such a young age. Yeah, it's bizarre, right? Like (laughs) I I grew up outside Chicago and I remember taking a trip with my family in second grade to New York. And it's weird as at such a young age, I just knew I want to live here and I, I, it's going to happen. Like it was one of those things that was so kismet and it's really kind of weird that that stuck with me for so long. Yeah. Um, but also kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I felt the same way about New York. I'm from, uh, outside like an hour outside of Philadelphia. So, um, grew up on the East coast, but yeah, it was it's something about the Manhattan energy. So hopefully you make your way back here and, you know, we'll definitely connect in person. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, out of all the things we talked about today, and this is something I do ask everyone on the show, um, it's kind of an obvious question, but, you know, in your reflection, what would you say ultimately fulfills you in life? Definitely my friends and my family. Um, but I think it is a little bit more than that. I think through my most recent career transformation, I learned that the career aspect is actually incredibly important to me. Um, I think people from the outside probably always knew that because I was in this like kind of like high power job, but I think it took me getting out of it like very quickly realizing that I felt like I didn't have much of a purpose and realizing that that part of my life gave me a lot of fulfillment. And so I think the family and the friends and those relationships are huge, but I think almost just as impactful for me is feeling like I have a career and a purpose on that front as well. Mm, I love that. Um, Where can everyone find you? Where can people find your website, your blog, um, the soloist on Instagram, share all of the social. So, you know, everyone can check it out. So my Instagram handle is the soloist.travel. And it's pretty easy because my website is the exact same. It's the soloist.travel and my blog is up there. There's tons of like solo travel resources. If you want some more tips or destination guides. Um, So yeah, follow along with my travels. I've been traveling around quite a bit. I'm currently in Colorado. I just booked a trip to Portugal for March. So all of that will be on my Instagram. And that was all for today's episode with Jen Tenzer, the founder of The Soloist. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to share this podcast episode on your Instagram stories and tag both of our accounts so we can see that you are tuning in. And definitely for those of you who want a more guided, experienced solo travel, I definitely recommend looking into Jen's planning services because I do feel that 
one of the biggest obstacles for all of us is just knowing how to travel by ourselves and feel confident and feel okay and ready for it. And I think Jen, again, with her experience having traveled internationally by herself, something I haven't done yet, but will be doing soon, I think she can definitely give you guys all the tips and help you feel prepped and safe for your first international or domestic trip. And as always, if you enjoyed the questions from the card game asked on this podcast, be sure to check out the card game available at whatfulfillsyou.com or if you are in New York City, you can purchase this in person at Showfields located at Bond Street in NoHo. Thanks again for tuning in this week. I will chat with you all next time. Bye.